In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beast of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beast of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. 
to every beast of the field or, or, of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has food I have given every green plant for food and it was so God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day I would venture to say that probably all of us here in this audience this morning from the youngest perhaps not the babies, but for those who uh, can learn from the youngest to the oldest, we all are familiar with Genesis chapter 1. Many of us, especially those of us who, have older, who are older, probably have read this chapter several times, maybe many times throughout our lifetime. We have probably heard it read numerous times. After all, it is the first chapter of the first book of God's Word that we call the Bible. And therefore, what is said to us in Genesis chapter 1 really forms the foundation, I think, of not only our faith in God as being the creator of all and being the one who sustains our life from day to day and being the one who has saved us from our sins, but Genesis chapter 1, I think, kind of forms the foundation for everything else that is said to us in Scripture. It is very significant. And so as the Bible's beginning point, Genesis chapter 1, I'm suggesting to you this morning in this session, contains some very important in the beginning language, some of which is repetitive. And I hope you noticed that this morning as we read through this chapter, because what we want to do in this period is just to pull out three phrases that are repeated here in Genesis chapter 1. And each of these phrases, I believe, tells us something very important, something very significant about our great God. The first of these phrases that we want to consider this morning is the phrase God created. Of course, that's the way that the chapter, the whole Bible begins, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But you can see, as I have here on the screen, how many times this phrase is repeated. That it's either said that God created or God made there in verse 7, that God made the expanse and then separated the waters above the expanse from the waters below the expanse. In verse 16, that God made the two great lights. I assume he is talking there about the sun and the moon, one to rule the day and one to rule the night. In verse 21, that God created the great sea monsters and everything that is in the waters, everything that is in the oceans and all the birds that are in the skies, in the heavens. And then verse 25, that God made the beast of the earth after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And then finally, the crowning point, of course, of God's creation is us, people, mankind. And it said there in verse 26 that God, or verse 27 rather, that God created man in his own image according to his likeness. Whether the word created or made is used, I believe it's conveying the concept to us and telling us some very important information about God in relation to creation. And that is this, that God and God alone is the maker. That God and God alone is the creator of all creation. Everything that has been created, everything that exists, exists because God and only God created it. More than that, as we look at uh, verses uh, 4 and 7 and verse 17, when it tells us that God separated and God placed and, and God blessed and all of these kinds of action words, it is telling us, again, that God and God alone is the one who is acting in creation. 
that He alone is the Creator. And I want you to just think about, as we think about this phrase for a few minutes this morning, that God created and how significant that is. I'm sure all of us, at least those of us who are of any age uh, here this morning, you know, we just, we, we know that information, don't we? <laughs> we believe it because God said it to us in His Word that God created. But how, how uh, much people around us living in the world They may know that particular word. They may know Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, but they don't really believe that God created all. But I want us to consider the two words of that often repeated phrase here in Genesis chapter 1. First of all, to think about God. It is from the Hebrew word Elohim, which I believe is is the word that is used throughout this chapter. And I don't know, I didn't take the time to count up how many times God is mentioned here in Genesis chapter 1, but it is a lot. And every time I believe that it is mentioned, it is the word, the Hebrew word Elohim. It is a plural word, but it has a singular meaning. One writer said, uh, Henry Morris in his book on Genesis, the Genesis record said this about this particular word, that it's telling us that God is one yet more than one. And I believe as we read through the scriptures, not just here in Genesis chapter 1, but as we read all the way into Revelation chapter 22, that throughout the Bible we come to learn that certainly God is one eternal being, that God is one spiritual being, and yet He consists of three persons, we might say, that there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Spirit of God. But they are all God, they are all deity. And if this is what Genesis 1 and verse 1 is emphasizing to us, if if this is what the writer of the book of Genesis is emphasizing to us throughout this chapter, it tells us that all three members of the Godhead were present here at creation. And that the Father, Son, and Spirit all participated in creation. If you look there at verse 2, The writer says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. We don't have time this morning. Skip and I were talking about this a little bit uh, before we began this morning, but just uh, you can go to John chapter 1. You can go to Colossians chapter 1. You can go to other passages in the New Testament that tell us that God was creating the world through His Son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ created all that exists. Everything that came into being came into being through His power. And I believe Genesis 1, at the very beginning of Scripture, is telling us the Godhead was present there at creation and participated, had a role to play in everything that we see and even things that we can't see. Things that are beyond even our comprehension. And it's just amazing for us to think that here is a being that is described to us as having the power to create. And so we want to think, secondly, about that word create, that God created. That is to say that God brought into existence what formerly didn't exist. (laughs) I don't know that any of us can really wrap our minds around that particular truth because, you know, we talk about us as people like uh, we, we, we are living in such a great time in the world where Uh, There are so many things that have been invented uh, for our comforts and uh, for us to enjoy life. 
But mankind really doesn't, in the true sense of the word, invent something. We don't come up with something out of nothing. We take what God has already given us. We take the raw materials that he has given to us. Maybe we take the minds, the intellects that he has given to us, and we use all of those skills and all of those gifts to make something maybe that hasn't been made previously before. But we are not creators in the sense that God is. Because God took nothing and he made something out of it. He brought into existence what previously did not exist. And that tells us something very, very important about our God again. It tells us that he, again, is an eternal being. He is a self-existent being. He is a being that transcends time and space. And even the physical world and the spiritual world. He is a being that is all-powerful. And we probably, again, all of us here this morning know the phrase God created. But if we're not careful, we can lose the significance of that. And what that information, what that verse is telling us about God himself. And so this phrase that is used just over and over again here in Genesis 1 that God created is important, I think, in the beginning language because it is emphatically stating to us at the very beginning of Scripture that God is the cause of all that exists. Not evolution, not mankind, not some other force or being that is in the universe, but God and God alone is the cause of all that exists. The second important in the beginning language that we want to pull out and think about for a few minutes this morning is then God said, and it was so. And this phrase certainly, as you can see here on the screen this morning, is just uh, not in every verse, but it's in quite a few verses as we read here in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. This repetitive phrase, I think, teaches us at least two important truths about our God. And they're going to go along with what we just talked about with God creating everything that exists. Number one, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain of course, not things that, that we say sometimes are man-made, <laughs> but everything that exists in the world, that he created those things by just speaking them into existence. And that tells us, secondly, that God's word is powerful because all God had to do was speak. And again, it was so, as the writer is emphasizing to us here over and over again throughout Genesis chapter 1. As we just spoke about, who is this God that created? Who is the God of Genesis chapter 1? Yes, who is the God of Revelation 22? Who is the God of the entirety of Scripture? Well, He is an all-powerful being, isn't He? And there is nothing that is impossible for God, including the fact that He could just say words, He could just speak, and suddenly things exist that previously did not exist. That's the power of the Word of God. There are a number of passages. and In fact, in, in putting this lesson together, I had to cut out quite a few passages just because we don't have that much time in this session. Uh, but there are a number of passages from the Old and the New Testament that speak to us about the, the power that is found in the Word of God. I want you to consider just a couple of those this morning. First of all, from the Psalms, in Psalm 33, if you have your... Bible to open there to Psalm 33, beginning at verse 6. Psalm 33 and verse 6, here the psalmist says to us, 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Again, the writer is telling us what here in Psalm 33, what the writer of Genesis chapter 1 is saying to us. And that is when God spoke that all creation was made, all creation came into existence. Therefore, I I like what the psalmist says here in the verses that we've read 6 through 9, because it doesn't just tell us like Genesis 1 does, that by the word of God that the heavens were created, that the earth was created, that all that exists came into being, that God just spoke and it was done, that he commanded and it stood fast. But it also tells us here in Psalm 33 what our response must be. He says, because this is true about our great God, because he spoke and all creation was made in six days, therefore, he says, we must revere him. Therefore, we must stand in awe of who he he is. As some of the other Psalms say, I think it was Psalm 145 that I decided not to read, but you can look at that particular Psalm. But it tells us there again that God commanded and it was done. It was so. But that psalm tells us that all creation praises God. Everything that He has created praises Him. And it includes us as people that we are praising Him. And so we must respect and revere God for being God. We must stand in awe of who He is because He is the eternal, omnipotent, self-existent God. And we must praise Him as being the Lord of heaven and earth. One verse from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And again, this is just a a very, very small sampling of the many verses that we can consider this morning. Maybe maybe at the very least, this will kind of spur you, maybe this afternoon or sometime this week, to to, uh, dig a little bit deeper into this and to uh, think about some other places in Scripture that you could go that make this same point. But here in Hebrews chapter 11, of course, the writer is talking to us about faith and what faith is and describing to us a faith that is pleasing to God when we come to verse 6, that we have to believe that God is and that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. But I want you to notice what the writer says to us in Hebrews 11 and verse 3. He says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are Visible. Some translations say that by the word of God, uh, the worlds were formed. It, it is the idea of kind of arranging things. It's the idea of putting things into order that the earth was formless and void, as we read back in Genesis chapter 1. But then the Spirit of God was hovering over the, the surface of the waters and God brought order. He made something again out of nothing, but He made it in an orderly way. He arranged things in his order. Obviously, as the the writer is telling us here in Hebrews chapter 11, none of us were present at creation. In the audience that the Hebrews writer was addressing in the first century, none of them were alive at creation. But he says, by faith, we are certain. We can be assured. We can be confident. We have the evidence laid before us, as he talks about in verse 1 of this chapter, that faith is the substance of things not seen, is the evidence of, of things that we the conviction of things not hoped for. 
None of us were present there when God created the heavens and the earth, but by faith we are certain that God's word created something from nothing. And therefore, based on that truth, the Hebrews writer is telling us throughout this chapter and even on into chapter 12 and really the whole book of Hebrews, because that is true about God, we have to be people who live by faith. Our faith is based upon evidence. But, but our faith kind of goes backwards and forwards, I think. You know, we didn't, weren't there at creation, but we haven't seen what God has promised in the future yet. But by faith, we believe it to be true. So as we go back to Genesis chapter 1, this phrase, then God said, and it was so, is just very, very important in the beginning language, I believe, because it clearly shows us once again how powerful God is truly is. And then the third and final phrase that we want to consider this morning from Genesis 1 is that God saw that it was good. And this phrase, of course, is just used over and over here in this chapter. This phrase that the writer repeats so many times, I believe it also teaches us some significant truths about who God is. And I want us to just think about two of those. Number one, it tells us that God is inherently good. Because I believe that only a good God could and would create good things. If God were an evil God, if God were a bad God, why, why would he create something that is good? And why would he create, yes, everything in the beginning that was good? But it also tells us, secondly, connected to that, that God only created good things. That there was nothing bad, there was nothing evil in God's original creation. It was only when we get to Genesis chapter 3, right, in the Bible that Satan comes on the scene and he tempts Eve, he tempts the, the crown of God's creation, mankind, and Eve decides that she's going to trust his word rather than God's word and she's going to believe him instead of believing what God has said and really she's going to submit herself to God, to Satan rather than submitting herself to God and doing his will and trusting him. But before sin came into the world there in Genesis chapter 3, there were only good things. Because God is good. I think because our culture as a whole here in, in 21st century America, because we have, for the most part, kind of thrown God <laughs> out of our lives, Romans chapter 1, because we, we don't want to retain God in our knowledge anymore. We don't want to think about God. Uh, because we, we, we don't want to talk about God. Uh, we, we have... Uh, said that, you know, God, if he exists, well, he must not be a very good God <laughs> because look at all the bad things that are happening in our world. Look, look at all the evil that is present around us. Look at all the suffering that we as people have to experience in this life. But despite what people in our godless culture think or say, the Bible is telling us here in very clear language at the very beginning of the Bible <laughs> that God is good. He, he is the very essence of what good is. He is the very definition of what good is. In fact, if you think about that word good, you just take out one letter, one O, and you have God. <laughs> but I want you to think about that not only from Genesis 1, but some other passages here, again from the Psalms. And there are, are a number of verses that we could consider this morning, but these are just a, a very few for you to think about. In Psalm 25, in verse 8, the writer here says, Good and upright 
is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. In Psalm 86 and verse 5, the psalmist here says much the same thing. Psalm 86, if I can get there. Psalm 86 and verse 5. Here the writer says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Then one of my favorite verses from Psalm 119 about God being good, Psalm 119 and verse 68 just says, You are good and do good. And I, this is a number of years ago, I don't remember when it was, but I spent a whole quarter in an adult class just teaching Psalm 119. It's 176 verses long. Very repetitive. But there was something in each stanza that just was kind of a, a little nugget of truth, something that was just a little bit different from the other stanzas that we could learn about God, we can learn about the Word of God, something that, that we could grab a hold of and take with us and, and make it practical in our own life. But at that particular point when I taught that class, it wasn't very long till in my daily prayers, oftentimes I begin my prayers, especially in the morning, by addressing God and saying that you are good and you do good. And I think that's very important for us to remember every day of our life, who God is, that God is a good God and that God does what is good. From the New Testament, from the Gospels in Mark chapter 10, you might remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus asking the question, what I need to do to inherit eternal life? But Mark tells us in his account that the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, uh, good master or good teacher, what thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And you might remember the reply of Jesus that there is only one who is good, and that's God. Now, all of us who are God's children, we are supposed to be uh, incorporating that spiritual characteristic of goodness into our life, aren't we? It is found in the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit really is dwelling in us and, and He is leading us through the Word, He is guiding our life, guiding our thoughts, guiding our words, guiding our decisions in life, then we're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit within us. It's, it's going to be evident within our life. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. That is true of God. God is perfectly good. We can't say that about ourselves. We're trying to be like Him. But God is good and God does good. Although at various points in creation, God saw that what He had made so far was good, as these verses here on the screen would indicate to us. When you come to the very end of the, that account in Genesis 1 and verse 31, then the writer says to us that God, I think, looked at the totality of what he had created. And he didn't only say that it was good, but now he said it was very good. Uh, Henry Morris, again, in his book, The Genesis Record, made this comment about that phrase, very good, and tying it into those other phrases earlier in Genesis chapter 1 about God looked at different parts of his creation on each of the days and saw that it was good. He said six times before he, God, had seen that what he has, had made was good, but now when you come to the end of the chapter, now that it was complete with every part in perfect harmony with every other part, 
all perfectly formed and with an abundance of inhabitants, God saw with great joy that it was all exceedingly good. None of us experienced that perfect creation. We were all born into an imperfect world, weren't we? We were all born into a world where sin exists and where it seems like sin kind of dominates a lot of times and where it seems like sin is winning. But when God created the heavens and the earth, everything was perfectly balanced. Everything was perfectly in harmony with itself. It was just like if if you like to listen to music going and, and listening to an orchestra play and it's just a beautiful sound. And every instrument, every part is perfectly in harmony with every other part. There's, there's no one who's playing the wrong part. Or we can think about, as we have just done this morning, singing together. Uh, not all of us are musically inclined, and some of us are kind of on different, uh, di- to different degrees on that scale. But to God's ears, it is a beautiful sound because our hearts hopefully are all in harmony with one another. And that's the way it was when God created all that exists. What a grand conclusion Genesis 1 and verse 31 gives to the whole account of God's good creation. Well, the language of Genesis 1, I think, is so important. Sometimes we kind of dismiss that. And I I have even known certainly people in the world that would dismiss it that aren't believers in God at all. Uh, people that might claim to be believers, but they really don't follow what God has said in Scripture. But even among those who claim to be true Christians, we, we kind of have had the tendency, at least in my lifetime, to discount what is said to us in Genesis 1. And that really doesn't have anything to do with our faith or our salvation. <laughs> well, I hope you can see at the very least this morning that Genesis 1 and the language of Genesis 1 is very, very important because it clearly and emphatically states to us that God is an awesome God. He is an awesome God. So as we're about to dismiss to our classes this morning, I want you to think about this question. Do I really know the God of Genesis 1? Because the God of Genesis 1 is the the God of Revelation 22. Thank you for listening so well. Let's be dismissed to our classes.